Seinfeld, the marine biologist, is over. But we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are not angry at all today. Nothing like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Uh, I would never send back soup in any deli. Well, what if it was like some terrible soup? What are, you, what are your top 31 favorite soups? Let's go through that now. Oh, well, you don't want to do favorite soups now. <laughs> we we, we got to save that for like its own episode. I think. That's in between seasons eight and nine. I think the Akiva soup countdown. Or maybe like one of the, you know, there's so many soup episodes like Soup Nazi, the soup yeah. with Mendy's like uh, maybe we'll save it for one of those. Yeah, we don't need to fill up like the Soup Nazi episode, but no, probably like not. So that's kind not. of a dud. And then Stands we, alone. Yeah, we need to sort of like uh, add it as an attraction. Yeah, maybe, yeah, some lame episode. We right. Put it in there. What's the worst episode that we have left that we haven't covered? And then well, we'll I don't add want to in, spoil that. <laughs> then we'll add in also Akiva's soup countdown. <laughs> if we tease that at the top of the show. Whatever's bottom on my list that we haven't done yet. Maybe I'll throw it in there. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about one of the most famous Seinfeld episodes, The Marine Biologist, a beloved episode of the show. Akiva, how does it feel to finally be at the Marine Biologist? I mean, I never thought it may, uh, we'd make it this far for sure. Yeah. You know, I didn't, we didn't think we'd make it to season two. So, you know, to be up to episode 78 and be up to the Marine Biologist, I feel like it's a milestone. A seminal Seinfeld episode. Why do you feel like this episode is so important for the uninitiated? I mean, I wouldn't say it's important. You know, it's, it's an episode of television from 1994. No, but I, I think just in terms of... This, you know, the scene at the end, I think it just raised the bar a little bit in in sort of how they can they could sort of make a twist and, you know, and almost like play it off like a little bit more dramatically with the golf ball reveal uh, where we haven't really seen that yet. Yeah, I feel like this episode is cited and I feel like I've seen Larry David say it in these different inside looks that, oh, this was the episode when they realized, oh, we can make all the stories become intertwined together even though i feel like that has happened quite a bit so far before this episode yeah it's definitely i think there i I feel like we've already heard people say that a few times right Mm -hmm. this was the episode where we figured out that we could tie in the storylines or use all four characters i don't think that's true at all in fact you you know we'll argue probably that one or two of the minor storylines are too brief because you know they have this whole monologue at the end and the episode seems to go by really quickly it's it's it almost feels like if it was supersized, not that they should change it. It's the best. Ep- it's one of the best episodes. But like some of the side plots are are lacking. So I don't know if it's the one where everything ties together. They're really just tying in two storylines. The Elaine storyline doesn't really tie into the ocean, right? Yeah, we'll talk a, quite a bit about that, I'm sure, as we go along. So before we jump into talking about the marine biologists, is there any news or social media stuff you want to mention? You know, it was pretty light. There's really no social media or news. But since I mentioned it in this segment last week, could we get an update? I told you that uh, Nathan For You was my new favorite show. Yes. Um, so did you get a chance to watch it this week? So I have watched about nine and a half episodes of Nathan for you since our last podcast recording. You're right. It's absolutely a fantastic show. I knew it was good. I had seen it before, but I think I saw a lot of the season one stuff and I actually ended up watching all of season three. And then I went back and I've watched most of season two and there is just, you know, Great. So, I, I mean, I don't know necessarily that you said season three is transcendent. I feel like that season two and season three to me are just as good as each other. I don't know if there's like a quantum leap between season two and season three, but I absolutely it's, it's a fantastic show. I'd have to rewatch season two to tell you the truth. I don't remember 
some of the season two things. The one sort of, not a gripe about the show, but the thing I'd be much more interested in learning is how in on it are the participants, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how much do they know? Like, the guys he's hiring, we know they know because they've seen themselves on television. You know, the private detective and... But I, you know, like these are, it's LA, you could get anybody to come and be on television, but I am very curious who is really in on the joke a little, the guy who's writing the, you know, the novel in a few days, like th- yeah. that guy, does he, does he know he's in on the joke? I'm not sure. Yeah. That he puts, <laughs> I saw on Reddit, he got paid $500 to write the book. Yeah. It's really great. You can check it out. I'll get the comedy central app. I think it's free. I think that I know I'm a direct TV subscriber. And when I tried to watch it on the website, I had to put in my, you know, some sign into direct TV, but I think on the app, I think you can watch it without any sort of cable package. Uh, I, I assume and it's free. There's not a ton of commercials. So check it out on the Comedy Central app. Not a paid product placement. Now, although if Comedy Central would like some paid product placements, they could call Sure, <laughs> sure. It's a good app. All right. So then uh, I have one social media thing to update myself. Akiva, I like to try to tweet out the episode after it gets posted on the weekends. And so I tried something this week. When I tweeted out the link for last week's episode of the Seinfeld Recap Podcast for the dinner party... I tweeted out, which is the superior babka, chocolate or cinnamon? And you have a new feature on Twitter, which allows you to do polling. And so I had 368 people on Twitter weigh in on this question. Look at you. Which is the superior babka, chocolate or cinnamon? I voted cinnamon, but uh, I'm sure it's chocolate in a route. What's a route? Give me the breakdown. I I saw. I happened to see. It was like two thirds to one third. Yeah, 68% of people who follow me on Twitter who voted in this poll prefer chocolate babka, thus making cinnamon the lesser babka. Yeah, but I feel like most of those people have never even had babka. They're just, they're just saying that they prefer chocolate in general over cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, if that's what people prefer, I would much prefer a chocolate babka. I looked at some pictures of some chocolate babka. It looks pretty good. Cinnamon babka does not excite me unless there's a hair on the chocolate babka. Yeah, that's that's a turnoff. All right. Uh, but I, I also I have, um, you know, since I gave a show last week. Well, it's also worth mentioning that uh, nobody knew what Farina was when we talked mm-hmm. about it last. That was universally like 10 different people tweeted or wrote in the comments. I, had, I have no idea what Farina is. So uh, Farina might not even exist anymore. <laughs> we'll have to look into that. And, and people, uh, I, I want to give a little more homework. Uh, so last week I recommended Nathan for you this week. Not as high of a recommendation, but I did really like it. I'll recommend a master of none for people to go watch that. Oh, I watched the first episode of that and I found it to be a super downer. Oh yeah. Because that's the one with the kids, the yeah. pilot. Yeah. Well, that's, that's unfair though. <laughs> Cause it's, it's a guy who going with two kids and you're just thinking about how you're going to have to chase your kids. It gets much more upbeat. The second episode, it will be the one where you could figure out if you like it or not. Cause that's where, you know, he talks to it's a lot of his parents, his, his real parents play his parents in the, in the series. But I thought it was really good. I flew through all 10 episodes. Yeah, I watched one episode the other day. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I'll watch more. Yeah, give it a chance. Well, I've been saying to my wife, who, if you are uh, also uh, unaware, is super pregnant and uh, could give birth at any moment. I had said to her the other day that, you know, I'm really concerned that this could be like a really long labor. And I'm just really worried that I could be bored. And I don't think I have enough stuff on my phone or my computer to watch. So... I need some recommendations on some new shows to be binge watching while my wife might have some sort of like protracted, like drawn out labor. Yeah, that happened to me with our second kid. My wife was in labor for like 20 hours. Yeah, It's very boring. It is. And I had a laptop. It was pre smartphone, really. Like you wouldn't have been able, it certainly wouldn't have had like data and, you know, internet, you know, service in the 
in mm-hmm. the hospital room. But I was on my laptop. The problem was it was very gradual, the labor at the end. And at a certain point, like it was happening, but I didn't realize I was still like on the internet yeah. on like the chair next to the bed where she was, you know, giving birth. So I probably was on the computer for like three or four minutes longer than I should have been no. when she was like literally having the baby. What was I going to do? Yeah. You know, I think they have Wi-Fi at the hospital. I, th- I think I think it'll be OK. So, I mean, well, yeah, I, this was this was 2008 or nine. So yeah. like, uh, you know, by now you're, you're good to go. Yeah. Thanks to everybody whose uh, thoughts are with me as I try to, you know, negotiate through this potentially like very boring, drawn out labor. <laughs> really? You're really the victim here. This is my wife's least favorite joke, by the way. Yeah, I, I feel like that, this why I recommend C-sections to everybody, because when my wife had a C-section, 25 minutes, I've said this before, we were in the we were in the room watching the Sunday pregame shows. Yeah, you know, that's the way to do it in and out. OK, so Akiva, let's talk about the marine biologist. And of course, this is from February 10th, 1994, written by Hagen Rubin. Yeah. The, uh, by the way, February 10th, 94. Do you know what the number one movie in America was that week? Boy, number one movie in America, Lethal Weapon. That's a good guess. It was uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, there you go. And uh, the number one song was uh, The Sign by Ace of Bass. (laughs) It was really a terrible time for music. The top five songs were The Sign by Ace of Bass, Celine Dion's The Power of Love, a Brian Adams song, Tony Braxton, and Salt and Peppa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hammer time. It was a bleak time for, great time for movies, but a a bleak time for uh, music. Yeah, okay. Well, let's get into talking about uh, the marine biologist. Actually, uh, Lethal Weapon 1 was in 1987, so I'm definitely uh, way off on that. I've Uh, never seen any of them, so I wouldn't (laughs) know. Yeah, I think that the first one was like I was too young to to watch it. How many have there been? Yeah, I think there's been like four or five. Oh, man, I got a lot to catch up. If my wife was giving birth, that would be like a perfect thing for me to do in the hospital. What, watch Lethal Weapon? Watch all five Lethal Weapons. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to go over. Like, uh, like, honey, what are you doing? I'm just catching up on my Mel Gibson film trilogy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to pass on the on the lethal weapon. You know, it is a good idea. Like, I, you know, my wife's not pregnant or anything. But if, if she does again, I really have to, yeah. you know, start hoarding, start hoarding like a TV show. Saving for her labor. Boy, lethal Weapon 3 was out by this time in 1994. Wow, they really fired them out. It was like Fast and the Furious. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, so let's get into talking about this. And Jerry's stand-up starts by talking about nature shows and how you always identify with the animal that's being featured. So one week you're rooting for the antelope, but then the next week it is the lion, and then you're rooting for the lion to kill the antelope. Yeah, it's like anything. It's like if Titanic was from Billy Zane's point of view, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd probably be, you know, rooting for Leo to, to die. Do you watch? Yeah, because it's like, hey, this guy... You know, is this nice guy? He's providing for his wife, and you know, she takes her on this nice vacation. Some like homeless guy is trying to steal his girlfriend. Yeah, this homeless vagrant is like trying to, you know, run away with his adulterous wife, and you know, he's like the innocent bystander. We should really like recut a uh, a version of Titanic that makes Leo the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, some people say that Leo's from the future. Also, have you seen that what, theory in the movie? Yeah. Really? I've never heard Google that. that. Somebody Google Google that. That's oh a real God. theory that people have. All right. He's a time traveler. So do you watch a lot of nature shows, Akiva? I don't. Yeah. No, me neither. But I definitely, <laughs> they're exciting. Like, uh, I feel like, you know, my kid would like it. You put it on YouTube, actually. It's good because that's not like a whole 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they, it just gets right to like, get right to the kill. Or like, I like seeing, you know, like an animal's about to be killed but some hippo comes and protects it. I like those. Yeah, you know, the nature shows might actually be better than going to the zoo. The zoo might be overrated, and I've got a couple of friends that really swear by the zoo. 
You go to the zoo and half times the the animals like off in the corner or they're lying down like they're never moving around. There's never anything like exciting to take a kid to the zoo or rarely you got to be there. It could be smelly. <laughs> yeah, it could be smelly. At least like on the nature shows there, they are cutting to the good stuff. Yeah, Rob, you don't have to sell me on staying home and watching things on YouTube instead of going out somewhere. Yeah. Let's start off the episode proper where we have Jerry in his apartment. He's going through some laundry and we are introduced to Jerry's shirt. The yellow shirt named Golden Boy. I, I like how he, he, this is a six-year-old shirt, but he's talking about it like he's had it since he was a baby. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, I'm sure the shirt you're wearing now, you've had for more than six years. No question. <laughs> I haven't had this t-shirt for more than six years now. This is a complete coincidence. Yes. I'm wearing a yellow t-shirt. I've been wearing it all day because I don't leave the house. And it says on it, I can't read because it's upside down. It's on my body. But it says January 2nd, 1994. Wow. Some event. So that's 21 years old. So Golden Boy can shove it. What is it like a bar mitzvah souvenir? It co- well, that's a good guess. It's, I, it's some sort of event. I really can't. I'm going to have to like turn my shirt off over. <laughs> I don't know. It's my wife's. It's actually my wife's t-shirt. I'm not sure how it, <laughs> wow. how it fits. Me. I'm like twice what a picture size. you paint, Akiva. <laughs> Do I have to take? I'll take a picture of the a shirt. I'll put it in the comments. <laughs> okay. But good. the I think I think um, some sort of I don't know. There's a garbage can on the shirt. Hmm. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to investigate. I'm gonna have to take off my shirt and investigate at some point. But right. but the point is, everyone has older shirts than that. Sure, lots of people have older shirts, but Golden Boy is special to Jerry because it's the first shirt that comes out of the wash, and it's basically the ace of the shirt rotation. Do you have a shirt like this, Akiva? Yeah, I also like. I think of it more in terms of like which ones are like stained and like can't be worn unless I really need to do laundry and I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. So it's it's less that I have aces, more that I have like. All right, this is like, if I have to get to this shirt, I know like it's laundry time. Things have gotten out of control. Yeah. So basically like you have a guy who's like a spot starter. And then if, you know, he's making a start, you know that the rotation is in dire shape. Yeah. And, and it's like, I should throw out the shirt, but I'm like, oh, let's say I need it, you know, but there's like really a stain that's kind of visible on the light. Yeah. Give me the baseball player equivalent of this. Who's the guy that when he's making a start in your rotation that, you know, it's time to do the laundry. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, John Neese. No, I'm kidding. No, John Neese is a, he's a regular guy in the rotation. <laughs> That's good. I, I feel like I would see it's funny because I would have said somebody like Chris Young, who, of course, like, you know, beat up the Mets in uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like at this point, it's like Eric Bedard. If Eric <laughs> Bedard has moved into your rotation. Yeah, then it's bad. You're in dire straits. The recently departed Jose Lima, maybe. Oh, that's too soon. Too Rob. soon for Jose Lima. Lima time. He's no longer with us. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but in a time and a place, that would be the right call. Well, I think Lima went from good to bad. Like, yeah. that would be the equivalent of, like, the shirt being ripped in half and you're mm-hmm. still trying to wear it. Well, talk to me about Golden Boy, because in my mind, Golden Boy is terribly ugly. Isn't Golden Boy an ugly shirt? Like, could you ever see Jerry wearing Golden Boy? It's like a bright yellow shirt. Right. He wouldn't wear it out of the house, a yellow T-shirt. Yeah. Maybe he'd wear it at the gym or in his apartment. <laughs> but, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like how many T-shirts do you have that you're like that they're your go. I mean, I guess if you're a comedian, you're not going to work every day. So mm-hmm. your, your attire might be a little more casual. But yeah, it's not something that he would normally wear. Yeah, Golden Boy is ugly. It's an ugly shirt. Yellow shirts, though. Oh, well, Jerry loves it. And uh, that it's every time it goes through the wash, the problem is like it gets a start. Basically, it needs to have like a Scott Boris type agent because uh, there have been no innings limit on Golden Boy. And Jerry has just run into the ground and it's starting to fray a bit. Yeah, it's starting to fray because he does laundry every week. And, uh, you know, he's probably worn it. He does laundry once a week. He's probably worn it 300 times by now. <laughs> yeah. So 
Well, Golden Boy is uh, what's on Jerry's mind. Elaine is on the phone and she's finding out that she is going to be working with a Russian author named Yuri Testikov. And they're going to be picking him up in a limousine tomorrow. Yeah, he's clearly like a high, you know, sort of like a high caliber writer. He's probably one of their main clients. We learn later he has a million dollar um, Vance or whatever for the book. So yeah, good for Elaine getting this major client. Elaine tells Jerry that this is going to be like working with Tolstoy. Akiva, are you a Tolstoy fan? The biggest. <laughs> Have you read any Tolstoy? Not one. I mean, I was English major and I never, I never even almost, I didn't even like, I was never supposed to read it and didn't. Like I never came across War and Peace in any college class or high school class. Okay. Well, Jerry ends up telling Elaine, did you know this about Tolstoy, that the original title of War and Peace was called War? What is it good for? It's Jerry sells this so well that you think that he actually is being serious, right? Yes. And his mistress made him change it. Which is a great anecdote. And I also, it, this is like one of these like, oh, this could never happen now because you would Google it in one second and realize it wasn't true. Right. But Elaine wasn't going to the library to go check this out. No, but it's not like it was close. I figured like, okay, War and Peace is a 20th century book because I don't know anything and I'm an idiot. But the book, the, the song War Was It Good For by uh, the great Edwin Starr mm-hmm. was written in 1969. Yes. Uh, and the book, I think, is from 1869. <laughs> so that's why it worked out. Yes. So Jerry tries to sell Elaine that the song, actually, that's where they got it from. That was the original title of War and Peace. And that's why they made the song. She's like, oh, okay, interesting. But Jerry sells it very straight. Now, was this a mean prank that Jerry ultimately pulled here on Elaine, or do you think this was funny? It's it's funny, but then he should like let her know at the end, like, oh, I'm just joking. Like, why does he? He sells it so well. Why does he letting her out into the world, like unleashed with this knowledge? Yeah, it's almost the kind of thing where if there's not like another person there, like a third person there that you sort of like with the other person, like, ha 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 ha, you see that? Like, it's almost like, who is he doing this to entertain? Right, just himself. Oh, he's just interested in entertaining himself. It's somewhat sadistic. Yeah, but Jerry can, can be that sometimes. Okay. George comes in and he tries to do a Jack Nicholson impression. And he says, uh, you can't handle the truth. And I thought this was timely also, but I looked it up and the movie had been out for like a year and a half already. Yeah. And so he's doing a Jack Nicholson impression. This doesn't really pay off too much either. George's Jack Nicholson impression. There's like seven or eight things in this episode that don't pay off. Yeah. So George comes in and he's carrying a bunch of mail. And it turns out that his mom reads his mail and just goes through it, opens envelopes. How much of an invasion of privacy is this, Akiva? Well, I think it's illegal, first of all. Does George get any good mail, though? Probably not. Like if someone wanted to open my mail and pay my bills, that would be wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Estelle reads his mail. She says that I was curious. And so they get an alumni magazine, I guess, from the Queens College. And inside the magazine is a blurb about Jerry, an update, which talks about Jerry and what he had going on and how he had a TV pilot at NBC, which did not get picked up. And he seems sort of bummed out that the alumni magazine is reporting this. Now, Akiva, does your college have an alumni magazine? Yes, it does. How do updates get into the alumni magazine? I think nowadays they email you. Back then, I think they'd write a letter and you have to tell them. Right. But there's no like independent reporting that goes on with the alumni magazine, <laughs> correct? Well, wasn't it a college newspaper that outed them just last season? <laughs> yes. 
There's a lot of reporting that's going on in these college campuses, Rob. <laughs> but the way that my alumni magazine works for the great SUNY Oswego is that people like e- send a letter or email the alumni office and they print what you write. There's nothing like unsanctioned. Like I would never read the Oswego alumni magazine and have there be some like update about me that I did not send them. Well, maybe we, that, see, it's a bad example because when you were on Survivor, it's in totally possible that they had an update on you that you would not have given them. Mm, yes, but that would be an article, not in the update of what's happening with people that went to the college. Like that's a different section. Like they might write a feature that I might not sanction, but in terms of like the updates at the back of the magazine, now you have to send that stuff in. Yeah, but maybe like the feature person's like, oh, I'm one short. Let me just, I know what Sester Nino is doing. Let me write it in. Hmm. Did they ever do a feature on you? I think they wrote like a thing or two about me. They didn't really go uh, goo goo gaga or anything like that. Have you ever given your college a dollar? <laughs> Have I ever given them money? No, I actually, I went up there like in the time, like, you know, when I was on Survivor, I had gone up there like about a year later and did like a, a, a talk up there. But that was really it. I mean, the truth is for the SUNY schools, it's like state run. Mm-hmm. So you're almost like giving the government money, right? Oh. So don't give them money. Yeah. No, I have not. I've seen. never given my college a dollar either. So we're, I'm even. Yeah. Anyway, so that George is not in the alumni magazine, as we will find out either. And the answer is why? Because he can't handle the truth. So I have a little problem with this because as we'll see when Jerry meets Diane, the fact like, it, yes, George is a loser and George has no job and he lives with his parents. But why is the fact that he also had a fair, failed pilot that he was, you know, like the head writer on along with Jerry and the co-creator? That, that's definitely newsworthy. That definitely should get a blurb in the magazine. Yeah. And that's what Jerry should have led with to Diane. Oh, we just had a pilot. It didn't get picked up, but we got three more in the hopper, you know? Right. It's a good point. Makes no sense. The alumni magazine probably should have mentioned that Jerry wrote the pilot with fellow alumni, George. Yeah. But do you know why they didn't? Why? Because George would have had to tell them. And you know why George couldn't tell them? Because <laughs> he can't handle the truth. No, he doesn't get his mail. Estelle uh... reads the mail and probably throws it out. <laughs> so it does all tie in together. This is such an important episode. Yes. <laughs> all right. So Elaine says, OK, I got to get back to work. So wait, hold on now. Now we're back to the old question of what time of day is it? What day is this? Is this Elaine's lunch break that she just comes and hangs out at Jerry's house? If, uh, maybe or she's working overtime because it's Testikov's coming in and they need to you know, read this draft or something. Mm, maybe. I mean, the fact that she says I got to get back to work implies she started at work. So she was in the office. Did she have like a meeting somewhere and then said, let me swing by Jerry and then let me go back to the office? Probably. It was probably a fake meeting and she just came to hang out with Jerry and George for an hour. It's plausible. So Elaine runs into Kramer in the hallway and Kramer gives Elaine an electronic organizer. He says he opens up an account at the bank. And so he ends up getting an electronic organizer. What a piece of shite. Uh, would you have gotten from a bank in 1994? Yeah, I mean, that's why they can't even turn off the button. But yeah, I remember when organizers were huge for like a year. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that era ended fast. Mm-hmm. Those things were so useless. Yeah, I mean, what is it sort of like a speak and say? What would a 1994 organizer look like? Not even. I think you just, it's just like an address book, basically. <laughs> so then we end up having that Elaine takes it from Kramer. She's very excited. She was going to get one of them. Now, Kramer talks about how he opened up a new account. Does this lend any credence to our theory that Kramer is a drug dealer? It's crazy. Like, we, we, he doesn't even trust banks. Like, why is Kramer opening up any kind of bank account? Yeah. Right? That's true. It doesn't make any sense. But but remember, don't we see him try and get everyone to say hello, right? They have to say hello 
or you get the you, you get the hundred dollars, right? Is that what you have to do? So maybe he's just like opening up a lot of bank accounts for the free stuff. Maybe. All right, so we go back to George and Jerry in his apartment, and George is talking about, hey, did you see that thing on TV last night about the whales? In the Seinfeld universe, it's almost like there's just like one network where it's like, hey, did you see that thing on TV last night? Well, it was 1994. There were five or six channels at most, Rob. Yeah, so... Like, we'll even the WB and UPN, like, they weren't even really a thing yet. Yeah. So it was really just the big three. Fox was just coming up, like, the Simpsons had just did it big. Uh, so, like, PBS was probably what they're calling the nature channel. I mean, they did have cable. Uh, you know, Jerry did become a cable boy. Yeah. So they have the cable, and so that they're able to watch almost any channel. So what is this like, on PBS? I think back then, the nature ch- when they say the Nature Channel, it's probably like a PBS documentary. Okay, so we'll uh, just go with that. So George and Jerry are talking, and Jerry explains that he also got a tape recorder because he opened up an account at the bank. Look at the banks. This is probably why all the banks failed a few years ago. They were just giving out free stuff. Is that what it was? Free crap stuff? I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> pretty sure. So then Kramer ends up coming in, and he wants to know who wants to have some fun. Did you want to have some fun? It's always dangerous when Kramer says, I would, I would love to have fun. Do you want to have fun, Rob? Do you really want to have fun? Or are you just saying you want to have fun? I do want to have fun, but it also needs to be right here. <laughs> because Jerry says, no, I really want to have fun. And George says, I think I'm just saying that I want to have fun. And I can relate to that. Yeah, I like that line. Yeah, it's a good line. Okay, so Kramer, here's his idea for fun. He has 600 golf balls that he stole from the driving range, I guess. And he wants to go down to the ocean and hit them into the water. I have a theory where he got the golf balls from. Okay, where do you get the golf balls from? So the day, like the, the day's over at the driving range, right? Yes. And so they probably collect the balls on the range, like it's their balls. But then like, what about the errant shots that went into the woods or went into the trees? I feel like Kramer went after hours with like a bucket and just scooped up like all the errant balls. Yeah. Are they loose in his trunk? That's a good question. They're just rattling around. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I mean, 600 golf balls is a lot of golf balls. Is this just his car trunk just filled with golf balls? It would almost weigh it down. Like golf balls are heavy. How many golf balls to a pound? Yeah, I have no idea. That's a good question for, for the audience. You ever, have you ever golfed? I, ha- I have, but not well. And I feel like it's the kind of thing I might like, but I feel like I would need a lot of lessons at this point. It would be like the tennis thing. I feel like when you become older, and I know you don't like to leave your house, but it's the type of thing I could see you taking up at some point in like 10 years. Okay. Well, we'll see. You know, that's not really a lot of my podcasting business that takes place on the golf course. I feel like there's a lot of industries where it's like, oh, you need to know how to golf to make it in terms of like, there's like a lot of deals brokered on the golf course, but not in my industry. Come on. I'm sure you could take like, uh, you know, Malcolm Freeberg golfing and work on some deal. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's ultimately who I'll take out. So we'll see. Maybe uh, me and Malcolm and uh, So Kim and Nicole could all uh, go on some sort of double date on the oh, golf yeah. course. Oh, yeah. Good luck taking your wife golfing. <laughs> so Jerry has to go to the cash machine. Is this the first appearance of the ATM on Seinfeld? I don't know. <laughs> no, Jerry's acting very peculiar at the cash machine. I, I feel like he's almost acting at the cash machine like how he was acting at Joe's uh, fruit stand when he was like, uh, like okay, going to do this. Yeah. Just one talking loud. not too hard not too soft yes and the reason why he's talking loud is just as a plot device to get him to start talking to diane from queen's college yeah although to be fair i think jerry is like a john madden who like announces everything he does the whole day yeah so he says uh, basically an introduction and is hey aren't you 
and they hit it off. Now, should he have recognized her from beforehand? This is the same thing as in the bakery last week where he's interacting with the person and then all of a sudden like, hey, aren't you? Yeah, it's only been, what, 10, 12 years since he was in college. Um, so she's not old looking. So, yeah, he should definitely recognize. But he was focused on doing his bit and getting the, you know, getting the pin right. I don't think he was uh, looking at the lady next to him. You don't want to look too much because then it's like you're looking at their password. That's true. Is his pin Bosco? I think only George's pin is Bosco. What was Jerry's pin? Jorel? Was it Jorel? I feel like it was, but I feel like that's too many letters. Bosco's too many letters. So it's four numbers. There's such thing as a letter pin in real life also. So. Mm, okay. So anyway, she read about him in the alumni magazine. Whatever happened to that guy, George Costanza? Yeah. And by the way, good for George just to even being, you know, asked about. Like at least someone remembers him. Yeah. And so, well... Jerry says, yeah, he's doing stuff. And because she's like, well, wasn't he like kind of a loser? And he says, no, he's a marine biologist. And again, say, no, we just wrote a pilot that aired on NBC. It's, it should be famous because it's the only pilot in the history of television that aired independently of being a series. Yeah. Well, I think that the interesting thing to go back to the part where Jerry told Elaine about Tolstoy is like we've established that Jerry is this kind of deviant who just gets off on telling lies to people for his own amusement. He has no idea she's going to say, hey, can I have his number? So he's just like, hey, let me tell her a lie. Just that's going to make myself chuckle. Yeah, the show doesn't paint. You know, Jerry gets the good guy edit in this episode. But Jerry tells Elaine something which causes her most important client to go out of his mind. Right. And Mm -hmm. he tells a lie that ruins George's relationship potentially with a girl who really likes him from college. Yeah. So he ends up screwing this up royally. Like this could have been the one. It definitely could have been. I mean, she really liked George. Yeah. But she might have just liked marine biologist George. She might not have liked unemployed living with his parents, George. Yeah. She doesn't seem too taken with him until she hears about the marine biologist thing. Yes. She's a uh, she's a gold digger, like a seal digger. She just wants access to all the good marine biologist parties. She wants to go to the Galapagos Islands with him. All right. So George apparently is working on lowering the cholesterol in whales that Jerry claims that George says that whales are the world's biggest mammal, but they don't have to be. It's a great line. Yeah. Okay. So we see Jerry and George then at the diner and Jerry tells George he saw Diane Decon. Is that her name? Yeah. Like the bug killer? I guess the con, maybe, if we're going to like emphasize the other syllable. Okay. <laughs> so has she asked about you, and George can't believe it, and she wants your, she wanted your phone number, and I gave it to him. Now, this seems crazy to me that this is a thing that happens. Like, hey, give me his number. I'm going to call him up on the phone. Yeah, but it did happen, right? I guess I, I, it must have been happening, but to me, this seems like uh, super absurd. Like, could you imagine any scenario where somebody says, hey, could you give me Akiva's phone number, and then people are giving it out? I would be like, Rob, why are you giving out my phone number? Yeah, I, I guess you can give out a person's phone number with like the assumption. Okay, you could text him. Right, it is. But again, like back then, I feel like we have more privacy now. Right, mm. Back then, they would have just called you straight out and yet you were stuck. Yeah, and maybe if this is pre-caller ID, I think that some people did have the caller ID, but you're just answering the phone. It could be anybody. It could be your best friend or your worst enemy. Yeah, you have to answer the phone. Well, that's why a lot of people leave it, let it go to the voicemail and then pick up if it's important. Yeah, the answering machine. Yeah, the answering machine was an important invention. But yeah, so she, right. But listen, Jerry's not going to not give out George's number to a pretty lady. Yeah, he'll give it out. And especially to Diane DeCon because she was the the it girl. girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I don't even think there are it girls anymore. That's it? 
Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's, yeah, everyone's equal. There's no more it girls. No more it girls? No, nah, there's no, who's the it girl then? Right now? Yeah, who's the it girl? I'm not cool enough to know it. I think that if somebody really was the it girl, I feel like I wouldn't know who she was. I think at the point that I know who she is, she's no longer the it girl. Oh, you mean if you're, so the it, it girl is someone who's like not, who's trendy, but not too popular? Right. But at the and time the I learn about her, she was that girl. So it's not like Jennifer Lawrence, because you've heard of her. Yeah, no, she's not the it girl. No, so it's like White Iverson is the it guy. I guess so because you don't know White Iverson. No, no, I don't okay. know. But I think that also that with there's like local versions of the it girl. Like there's an it girl in your high school. There's an it girl at the college. So I, think, I didn't have I didn't have girls in my high school. So well, did you have? Did you did you have? Would it have been girls a low your, bar for the it girl. Yeah. Do, do you have it girls in your high school? Yeah. Oh, there were definitely it girls in my high school. There were definitely like. Uh, you know, really like uh, popular girls. And then did they know your name? Mm, trying to think. I mean, yeah, I think that they must people must have known my name because you probably talked up a lot in class. I feel like. Yeah, I think I was, uh, <laughs> you know, very eager to participate in anything uh, in in class. And I, I did, you know, was desperately like seeking attention. So people did know, you know, what my name was. And the it girls were, were they cheerleaders? Did that go hand in hand also? I don't really know. I feel like that there were cheerleaders at my school, but I feel like, you know, the most popular girls weren't necessarily the cheerleaders. That's a lot of work to be a cheerleader. I feel like if you want to be the it girl, you got to like, you know, why do you have to waste your time cheerleading? Right. Like, I think that the people that were like the really like it girls were like too busy, just like, you know, hanging out with like uh, the like cool guys as opposed to like being in some sort of organization. Sure. The captain of the football team, although you might have to be the cheerleader to date the captain of the football team. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't necessarily required. Were you friends with the guy who was the captain of the football team? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I'm trying to think of uh, like if I even know who that was. Like, I don't think it was like the football program at Wanta High School in uh, the uh, mid 90s was uh, not it was, you know, not Dylan High School by any stretch of the imagination. There weren't a lot of pros coming out of Wanta. No. <laughs> No, I think they went like unvictorious one of the years that I was there. I think it's just called winless. Yeah, <laughs> and then they went like you know zero and nine or whatever. Like you know one one of the years that I was so it was not did, a great. Did you ever program. try out for the football team? No. Come on, Ikeva, come on, stop. Well, you would have made it if they went zero and nine. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. They probably would have. Wa- they wanted anybody just to be on the team. Probably. Yeah, I don't know. No, I was my not. big regret is I didn't go to a high school with a football team. Not that I would have played or made the team if it was anything other than a want to high school yeah. type, but. No, my dream would be to announce the football game. Oh, you should have done that. <laughs> well, they had like teacher that was doing that. They was not really up for uh, any sort of thing. Like in college, I did some like broadcasting of the hockey. Again, going back to Sunny House Week, I did. I called some hockey games. Oh, look at you. You're a sportscaster. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I don't know much about hockey, but I did. Uh, I was there. It's ice hockey, not like roller hockey. Ice hockey. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Big ice hockey school I went to. Anyway, so <laughs> it was the it sport back in my college. Oh. But uh, so George is like, if you're kidding around, we're not friends anymore. That's it. And Jerry's like, I'm cool with, I'm comfortable with that. I like how earnest he is there. It's like he's George is being very serious. I could, I could see somebody saying this in real life. Like this is too far. If this is a practical joke, I'm done with you. Yeah. And he says, no, no, no. It's all on the up and up. And there is one thing you should know. <laughs> She's under the impression that you're a marine biologist. George should have just taken this and run with it. He should have been like, yep, that makes sense. Mm hmm. But he says, but I'm not a marine biologist. (laughs) Even though there were marine biologists. Yeah. And so Jerry is saying, okay, well, that's what you are. And George's like, well, what am I supposed to say? And uh, so he's just going to have to uh, run with it. 
What are you going to do? Mean, Jerry should have said, and maybe he said it and we just don't see it, but he should have said, did you want me to say you're unemployed and you live with your parents in Queens? That would have been a good line. <laughs> would that have been better? Like at least you get the one date with the marine biologist line. Yeah. Well, later on, George is going to say, why didn't you give one of the lies that I know about? Why didn't you say I'm an architect? That'll come up later. But it's a funny transition where George says here, well, what am I supposed to say? And then you cut to him in his parents' house on the phone talking about, uh, well, algae, obviously, plankton, and he's going into that. Did you watch the deleted scene? Uh, no, I missed the deleted scene. Yeah, the deleted scene is just like a longer version of this. It's like uh, there, well, that's, there's like three parts that are in the deleted scene. That's one of them where he's just like continuing to go on and on. I think that like, I don't think that they had uh, Jerry Stiller for this episode, but uh, like somebody walked by who was like supposed to be him, like carrying like TV guides just to sort of like give the illusion of that he's at his parents' house. But this was fine how it was. Yeah. Um, and you could, some of these scenes you could tell were like probably shorter than they normally be just because they were so tight on time here. Yeah. And he talks about how he lived with the turtles in the Galapagos Islands. Yeah. I mean, again, like wh- this is so out there that like maybe he does that and then he takes six months off. Mm-hmm. And it might even be an easier short term lie than an architect where like she might want to know like, hey, show me a building you designed. Mm. Yeah. Well, not here, but in other cities. In Canada. <laughs> in Canada. Sure. All right. So then we see Elaine in the limo with Mr. Lippman and uh, Yuri. Uh, what's his name? Testikov? Testikov. Yeah. Okay. And so they're talking and where do you want to work? And he says that he's going to work in the hotel. And Mr. Lippman says, oh, you know, Tolstoy used to write in the square because he was inspired by the people's faces. And Testikov says he didn't need any inspiration. And this is where Lane brings up the war and peace. The war, what is it good for? That was the original title. Yeah, she's she's bringing her one anecdote on him right away. But ironically, then this is not what makes him mad. Like, I know I think he just like was, is baffled by how weird Elaine is. But you're right. It, yeah, this and, is fine. And then I said, oh, well, she said he had a mistress. Maybe that was going to annoy him that. No, he, he didn't ever. Tolstoy didn't have a mistress. And then the pocket organizer starts going off. Beep, 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 beep. And so he's saying, what is that noise? It's in my brain. And he sort of like wrestles it from Elaine and throws it out the window of the limousine. It's a normal thing to do. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be batteries in there. Just take the batteries out. Is there batteries in there? I feel like it's like one of those like watch batteries. Oh, those were the worst. I mean, so you're basically when the pocket organizer runs out of battery, that's just it then. I think that's nobody's it. going to like a store and like, hey, can I get a special battery for my pocket organizer? They're just going to leave it in a draw. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so then we see a shot of Kramer on the beach. He swings and misses at the uh, golf ball. But there's there's Kramer. We find out in the inside look, Michael Richards is not a golfer. No, he doesn't look like. Even though he's pretending to be a bad golfer, it's very clear that he he doesn't know how to golf. Not not a sports type of guy, Michael Richards. He talks about how when he goes golfing, he throws the ball. He throws the ball. Yeah, he throws the golf ball. I mean, that's a whole separate sport. But I feel like that would be fun. Like. How many throws could you get it in on a par three? Mm, yeah. If you were just throwing the ball and rolling the ball, would you be better or worse than somebody who's golfing with clubs? Uh, that's a good question. Oh, man. I think I'd be better. You'd be better. I'd be a better putter rolling than putting. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're one of these people that could like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, it'd be interesting if you had a Joanna Cespedes when he's going on his 18 holes. Like, could he throw a ball 300 yards? Well, that's an unfair question, because now you have a guy who could, like, throw the ball further than anybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why it's interesting. Yeah, that's it. but he's also a good golfer, so I don't think that... I feel like he's definitely going to be a better golfer. Yeah, okay. So the thing is, though, that 300 yards is, what, 900 feet? 
So, yeah, there's no way you can throw a ball, even with a straight fairway that rolls. You, you can't know, you that. could have him make, instead, like, that'd be like from the warning track that he's throwing the ball, like, you know, 200 feet past home plate. Right, no, it's More than not. That. That's, More than that. Yeah. It's not happening. Yeah, so I think you'd be better with the club. He would be, but I'm so inept with the club. You know, I'm lucky if the ball goes forwards. Okay, so if you if your problem is accuracy, not distance, throwing. But I also would be have better. a terrible arm. Like I can't throw a ball far either. Mm, I hear Never that. Never the quarterback. Yeah. All right. So then we go back to Jerry and George, and George is telling Jerry in the apartment that he's very uncomfortable. Why didn't they go with one of his lies? Why couldn't you make me an architect? I mean, he could just switch it and say like, "Oh, Jerry's wrong." Mm, they've already had the conversation at this point. It's too late for that. Right, I guess he already spoke to her. But like beforehand, he couldn't say like, no, I, I uh, majored in marine biology. Uh, well, I guess she might not know that. She might know that too because she was in college with him. Yeah. Maybe I got a master's in marine biology, but my true passion is architecture. So that's what I'm doing right Jerry now. Jerry already told her he's working on lowering the cholesterol in the whales. Why can't she say, oh, Jerry doesn't know what he's talking about? Uh, I think that's- Does she know that they're automatically best friends? Do you know what everyone you went to college is up to right now? No. You couldn't get their profession but wrong? If they, I, I would know what my best friend is up to. But who knows if they're best friends? She just said, do you still keep in touch with him? They can't and he pull said, that yes. off of like that. Now that would just Jerry's a good scene. liar. He just convinced the smart person that war, what is it good for, was based on, uh, you know, the war and peace was based on that song. It's 1994. Right. He knew his number off the top of his head. He doesn't yeah. have a pocket organizer. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, George is in a pickle here. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so <laughs> Kramer comes in. And with the golf clubs and he throws them on the floor. I actually like that. He's like beating up the golf clubs and he says he stinks. I mean, this is what golfers do, right? I guess so. Kramer only hit one good ball. I really far the rest. He couldn't even hit the ball. It was just sitting there and he couldn't even hit it. It would be funny if like everyone did this at their job. If you had like a bad podcast and you like went downstairs and like threw all your like tech tech equipment at, at Nicole it was like, did you take this? Yeah, I can't podcast anymore. Well, I don't I'm think fun. I should throw it at my wife. But if I just like she came upstairs and I was just like, you know, knocking all the equipment over. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't want to imply anything, but just like throw it towards like the wall or something like you take this. You could podcast. I'm never podcast again. I stink. There's a great underrated moment in this episode where the phone rings. George picks up the phone, throws it up in the air and then with one hand, Jerry grabs it. This was like the most impressive thing in this whole episode. Yeah. What a catch. <laughs> it's really great. All right. So there's a woman on the phone. She got hit on the head by the pocket organizer. She needs Jerry's help. Yeah. And so Jerry, remember, didn't see Kramer give a lane. So it's a nice little twist that they yeah, had. That happened. In the he hallway. didn't see it because it's in the hall. Yeah. Now, to me, I think that this is one of the oddest things in the episode. Why does Jerry end up helping out this woman if this was an attractive woman you would get it like okay maybe jerry would meet with her doesn't understand why his number isn't this person organizer but the woman who is the very talented and funny carol kane is that the actress's name yes and she's you know she is uh in a million things that uh scrooge uh comes to mind and she is not a knockout like why is jerry going to such great lengths to help her okay i'm gonna say something that's gonna blow your mind what's that jerry is interested in carol kane in this no episode. what because elaine says oh you know like you're interested in the girl and jerry says well nobody says that the superman like how come you're saving the girl because you're just interested in her if he would say oh trust me i'm not interested she's crazy he would have said that if he thought it 
What? He's interested in this girl. In Carol Kane? In Carol Kane. I mean, Jerry has no problem meeting women throughout this series. Like, I could see maybe, like, George uh, having to go for Carol Kane, but Jerry's going for Carol Kane? By the way, Carol, this must not be her Twitter, because it's just pictures of her. Mm-hmm. Like, four weird pictures of her, but if it is her, she has 533 followers on Twitter. She's, she, I don't think it's her. Uh, she talks about how that the organizer hit her on the head and she's like a, a, a you know, a crazy person. Also, uh, they put her in the MRI for 45 minutes. She's talking about how she was freaking out. Jerry does seem to be like, he's trying to help. Like he seems like, uh, he's like, what kind of nut would do something like this? And he doesn't even know who would be in a limo to be th- a typical rich person throwing their garbage out on the street. And then he realizes that Elaine was in the limo. I mean, Jerry at this point has no reason to think like who in particular it is. Mm-hmm. So we go back to Elaine and Kramer and uh, Elaine comes by to tell Kramer that his stupid electronic organizer doesn't work. But Kramer is like ridiculously itchy from the sand. Uh, To me, I think this is another part of the episode, which is not making a lot of sense. I get it. Like, you know, the sand can be a little annoying, but what is going on with Kramer that the sand is making him still itch? Why can't he take a shower? I feel like Larry just went to the beach the day before this episode or maybe Haig or Ruben, one of the writers. Mm-hmm. And this just happens to them because every time you go to the beach, like you do think, oh, I'm never going to the beach again because I find sand in my ear three weeks later, even though I showered at least once in that in, in that span. It's, so it just happened to them like, oh, that would be funny to write it in. But you're right. It has no payoff. It leads to another gag that has the least payoff of anything we've seen in the whole series, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is the Newman thing, which makes no sense. Yeah, that makes no sense. Also, there's also a deleted scene in this episode, which features Kramer and Newman. So Newman comes to Kramer's apartment. And is like, Kramer, what's going on? And he's just like, ah, the sand, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and Newman is like, Kramer, you're hysterical. And he's just like, he's just like scratching at himself. And then Newman says to Kramer, that's it. I'm calling your mother. And then Kramer's like, no, no, don't call my mother. Don't call my mother. Right. So that, that scene doesn't belong in the episode. But I, I almost think that this doesn't either. And the part where the boot falls on Newman's head doesn't belong in the episode either. Well, yeah, that's the one I was referring to that really... <laughs> like, that has no payoff. That All of a sudden, here's Newman, and then a boot falls on his head. I mean, if you want to say it's funny to see a boot fall on Newman's head, but it wasn't, like, written that great, that, you know, it's telegraphed, and it's not so funny. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was something... We'll talk about some of the rewrites that happened in this episode. Maybe there was something else that ultimately got cut and didn't even get shot. But then... That's very possible. So we go to, then, Jerry and Elaine. And Elaine comes in and Elaine is upset with Jerry. What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> uh, war, what is it good for? Right. And Jerry can't believe. I don't know if he can't believe that she believed it. I think he knows she believed it. He can't believe that she <laughs> said this in public. Yeah. And so she says that it was Testikoff. And guess what he did? And Jerry says, did he throw your organizer out the window? He's like, how did you know? And he says that, well, hit a woman. She thinks that Jerry has it. no. This woman is going to be uh, trying to sue for damages. Yeah, I mean, Elaine should. should, And first of all, good of Elaine not to blame it on Kramer, because in theory, it's Kramer's organizer that she's had for a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at this point, it's just like she should say, all right, never speak to this woman again. And she won't find out it's me. Well, she starts off or Jerry mentions that she wants the money back for her medical bills. But then Jerry asks Elaine, how much is Testikoff getting from Pendant? And she says a million dollars. And he says that, well, that's a start. So I don't know if she has like Jackie Childs representing her, but uh, you know, there was no, I think she's joking. I I think, I think Jerry's saying like, Oh, she's crazy. She wants a lot of money. Oh, 
Or, or just medical bills are a lot. So maybe it's 50 grand. So like that'll help. I don't, I don't think she wants more than a million dollars, but who knows? People have sued for crazier things. Okay. George and Diane are out walking on the beach and George is going through marine biologist stuff, but he's like, okay, all right, enough talking about the fish, but she's buying it hook, line and sinker. I wonder if all the like fish or mammal facts he's telling uh, Diane, if he like actually went to a library and looked them up or if he's just making them up George style. All right, he probably looked some of them up and then improv. Did o- octopuses once have nostrils? <laughs> it seems plausible. Seems believable enough. I have, I have no way of knowing. <laughs> All right. So now we go to the hotel. Here is Jerry Elaine and Carol Kane. Does her character have a name? Uh, yeah, her, her name is uh, Corinne. Oh, Corinne. Yeah. How could I forget? So Jerry and Elaine are waiting at the hotel for Corinne to arrive. That's the name of the woman played by Carol Kane. And Elaine is asking Jerry our question, which is, what's going on here? What you, you like this woman? And Jerry says that line that you had mentioned of like, oh, does Superman get accused of wanting to hit on every woman he says? And Elaine says, well, you're not Superman. And again, you're right. There is some gray area. It was it does Jerry actually like this woman or not? I took it as no, he does not have any interest in her. But then again, why is he here? Why is he here? And also, like, maybe at first he was interested, but he's going to realize gradually how crazy she is and be less interested. But, I don't, you know, Jerry's with so many women. Maybe he's got an addiction, Rob. Maybe he's just got a problem. Oh, no. He likes every woman. Okay. So finally, uh, she shows up and then Jerry has the tape recorder that he has from the bank. Elaine has it in her bag. So basically, like, she's wearing a wire and they're going to go up and see Testikoff. And this is one of the worst ideas in the whole series, right? <laughs> I don't know if this is even admissible in court. Forget about admissible in court. It's her main client at her job. Why is she trying to catch him in a lie? Like, is there any way that she comes out on top work-wise, even if she gets somebody else to pay for this, uh, you know, this, you know, the medical damage? Like, right. why is she, like, ask Testikoff. He's going to say no, especially since he's foreign. Like, this might not be a concept of, like, lawsuits and, pay, you know, it might be like right. a, a fully American thing. But, like, at least ask him. It's insane to try and trap him. Like, what's her end game here? She's got no end game. Yeah, she would be better off having uh, this woman rubbed out at this point. Yeah, it would be cheaper also <laughs> than paying the medical bills. Maybe Testikov knows somebody. Yeah, I bet. He, I mean, I listen, I saw The Sopranos. What would Tolstoy do? I mean, he was in the village square, so I don't know. It's like, that's a bad place to kill somebody. <laughs> well, maybe that's ultimately what happens with the tape recorder. Maybe she dies and that's the end of this. Yeah, I mean, there was really no payoff there also, so yeah. it's possible. I think that's what happened. I think she died, and that was the they end of the case. don't see Corinne again. She doesn't testify at the end of the trial. <laughs> so uh, we see a cut to George and Diane looking at the water, and they see, hey, what are all those people doing over there? So we go up to the hotel room with Elaine and Jerry, and Elaine introduces Testikoff to Jerry, and uh, they pick up a book. And so, um, you know, they sit down with Testikoff. Meanwhile, downstairs... We see the character played by Carol Kane is being asked by the hotel manager to go stand outside. Uh, she has a funny line that she says to him, hey, I don't want to take any attention from the hookers here. It's such an early 90s New York scene, right? Because she's smoking <laughs> indoors yep. and there's hookers. Yeah. All right. So we find out on the beach that there's a beached whale that's dying. Does anybody here know a marine biologist? Asks Larry David. Which would not be the first question anybody would ask. First of all, 99% of the people wouldn't know that that's who you're looking for, mm-hmm. right? If that is indeed who you're looking for. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. But it's like, I, who would you even call if you saw like a beach whale? I call like 911. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> I don't know who you'd call. All right. So Elaine gets the manuscript from Testikov and then they're going to uh, try to leave. 
But Elaine starts asking him, hey, do you remember when you threw my electronic organizer out the window? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course I remember. And then all of a sudden the tape recorder starts making noise. Yeah, I mean, well, like, what's the tape recorder doing? Is it like two buttons were at once and it's doing like the squeaky thing that tape recorders yeah, used to do? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a sort of just like the same sort of thing where it's like a crappy sort of uh thing that the bank gave them it's like squeaking as it's recording and so Testikoff uh thinks that she's like a spy and she's recording him and so he takes the tape recorder and he throws it out the window and then it hits uh poor uh corinne played by carol kane in the head who is libel is it um is it Testikov or is it Elaine? Because it's her thing. Mm. I mean, he threw a tape recorder out the window. I mean, if I take your laptop and I throw it out the window and hit somebody in the head, that's not your like, uh, well, it was Akiva's laptop. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I mean, we if I feel we, like there's I feel like we're both being mentioned in the lawsuit. Mm. Me. I mean, I think in the criminal case, I think it's <laughs> it's it's uh, the person who's throwing it out the window in the civil case. I think that maybe yeah, in the civil case, being there's mentioned. some shared culpability, perhaps. Yeah. So then we end up with uh, Kramer and the boot scene and Kramer is trying to shake sand out of his boot and then the boot hits Kramer in the head. So I guess it's sort of like some sort of parallel of of Newman getting hit in the head. Like maybe again, there was like some sort of a scene where Newman and Carol Kane's character are both like rehabilitating their injury together and they fall in love. Yeah, I mean, that's like a little bit of a stretch, but it would make more sense than what we have here. Yeah, neither of these things pay off. And we don't see this woman again and we don't see Newman again the rest of the episode. Right. All right. So we end up seeing George back on the ocean, which sets up, in my mind, I believe, uh, one of the greatest scenes, if not the greatest scene in the history of Seinfeld, where. Nay, television. Yes. George walks off into the ocean after Diane pushes him to go save the whale, George. So he walks off into the ocean. I think he, was he have his socks on when he goes into the ocean. I uh, he like his pants are rolled up towards the knees. I think he does have socks on. <laughs> All right. So he walks into the ocean and then we cut back to George at the diner. Well, you also it's interesting how they edit it. I thought they the, the director did a really good job here where you see George walking for a while and, and the voiceover of George telling the story Starts for like 10 seconds before we get to Monks, where we're just watching George wade into the ocean. Yeah. And we dissolve into back to the diner and George starts telling the story, which is that he walked out into the ocean and he saw the great beast before him. And I don't think that I could do it justice by reading it. But uh, what are some of your favorite moments from this very famous monologue? I mean, I like he was 10 stories higher if he was a foot. I love easy big fella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a callback to George calls him the great fish and Jerry uh, blurts out mammal. And so George ends up saying that he ends up on top of the whale. A big wave put him up there. He says like a cork. And it's so like the story, you know, the story of Jonah or no, uh, I do. OK, so it's a little there's a little Jonah here now. Uh, I guess so. I guess so. And I guess we, I also, I, I missed the very famous line, which opens all this, which was the sea was angry that day. My friends, like an old man trying to return soup in a deli. Yeah. I mean, even more than sort of the reveal, that's like one of the most famous lines of the whole series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also uh, that he tells them uh, at that moment, I was a Marine biologist. And so, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's such a great moment. If uh, hopefully we can find like the YouTube clip of this and put it on the uh, the website. If you you know if you've seen it, you should rewatch it. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what I don't even want to know why you're an hour and change into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Reevaluate your priorities. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> so ultimately, George is face to face with the blowhole. The whale can't breathe. He sticks his hand in and pulls out the obstruction. Again, played by Jason Alexander in such a spectacular manner where he actually pulls something out of his jacket pocket and reveals the golf ball and looks at Kramer. Now, the first time you see this, obviously, it's still funny the thousandth time, right? Yeah. The first time you see this, it's just chaos because you could even like feel in the audience. It's total pandemonium in the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. They laugh for so long. They, like, they must be shaking in like the bleachers where they're watching this. Uh, you know, like, the biggest laugh of the whole series. Yes. Kramer will finally uh, very sheepishly asks, uh, is that a Titleist? <laughs> and then uh, George nods and he says, uh, hole in one, huh? <laughs> and then, you know, credit. So it's just such a great line to end the episode on. But then we come back. So it's sort of a, a cold close, which is sort of, I can't think of another episode, at least that we've seen so far, where we end credits and then pick back up in the same scene. I mean, the finale has it. The finale of the series. I'm trying to think of another episode besides that. And so in the epilogue, we end up finding out that George says, boy, uh, you know, it was like Rocky won. Diane came up to me. She threw her arms around me. And it was in that moment that he told her that he was not a marine biologist. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, always great decision. Yeah, what happened? And uh, she said, go to hell. And I took the bus home. (laughs) Not a great, I mean, I understand long term Diane's mad, (laughs) but I feel like he just saved the whale and George should get something for this. I mean, well, like, why is he being, you know, dumped and she can't even drive him home and yell at him in the car. Yeah, no, it's so funny that she's like, well, she said, go to hell and took the bus home. It's very funny. And also then we find out that Golden Boy didn't make it, but his son lives on. It's baby blue. Uh, And then, uh, you know, George has sand everywhere. Also, uh, Elaine comes into the scene about midway through and she says, George, I heard about what happened. I read it in the paper. So, I mean, George, you would think we'd get some pub from like uh, being the hero, right? Yeah, he gets pub, but not not enough for Diane. I mean, I don't know what Diane's deal is here. Yeah. So Diane, not impressed. She's off to find a real marine biologist. And that is the end of the marine biologist. Great episode. Great episode. Okay. Is this your favorite episode so far? Boy, you know, I... Let me hear your ranking and then I'll, and then I'll talk about it. Well, just to, just to remind the viewer, and I know they're not viewers, the top nine, the bubble boy and the boyfriend were 10 and 11, right? Mm-hmm. But the top nine, I'm, I'll, I guess I'll reveal at the, maybe the end of the series or maybe if, let's say there's no top 10 in season nine, maybe okay. when we get to the, the ninth and final episode. So all I'll say right now is that the marine biologist is in the top nine. Great. I don't think that this is the best episode of Seinfeld yet or... I would say, I don't know if this is the best episode that we've seen yet. I feel like the contest is probably a more complete outing. But I think that this scene here that we just talked about, this scene in the deli is potentially the best scene and the best joke in the whole show. I think that there are other things in this episode that we're talking about between the Elaine story and Testikoff and the sand at the beach and why is Jerry helping this woman with the pocket organizer. A lot of that stuff is either, I don't know, or meh at best. But this stuff with George and this scene is just transcendent, Akiva, to use your word. I did use that word a bunch of times. Less. But I think, um, the, to me, the Testikoff stuff and the Carol Kane stuff while they don't pay off, aren't like unwatchable. So I no. give them both. They're both like bees to me. Bees. I feel like it's more C stuff. Okay. C plus C plus. Okay. 
but the I mean the the scene with Newman you know that should never have been left in the episode I feel like it's the biggest almost editing mistake we've seen in the whole series so far <laughs> wow but right so now it's the question of is the a story being the biggest home run we've seen before does that now weigh out you know do you want like a guy with a home run every time comes up but the other you know the other three pitchers are strikeouts or singles versus someone who might hit a home run but they might hit a double you know it like an episode yeah. where like the boyfriend where maybe nothing didn't work but didn't hit the as high of a high as a marine biologist it's a great great episode this whole last sequence is absolutely flawless but i feel like that that's why i don't think it's the best episode in the history of the show yeah and george says or jason alexander says in some extra i think it was maybe for like the history of television museum or something where he says that uh he claims that larry uh wasn't happy with the end of the episode and he wrote the whole monologue in 10 minutes on the fly. Okay, well, here, let me play that clip, uh, and then uh, we'll talk about it. This is Jason Alexander for, from the metvlegends.org. Uh, this is on YouTube. Uh, this is Jason Alexander talking about this scene. The greatest example of that is in um, The Marine Biologist. That final coffee shop scene was not in the show when we started taping. We started taping the episode, and we got to the last scene, and the audience had a very nonplussed reaction. It was a whole bunch of tea up. My story ended when I walked into the ocean. When we were on the beach and somebody said, is there a marine biologist? And, and I walked into the ocean. End of show. And we ran that piece of tape for the audience. And they, were, they liked it, but it wasn't wow. Writers circled the wagons. And two minutes later, Larry came over and he said, how long could you, how quickly could you learn a monologue? I went, how many lines? He went, a page, ten minutes. George, the hero of his own story. He went, okay, and he wrote, "The sea was angry that day, my friends, and the golf ball in the blowhole." That was written in front of the audience, and the take that is on that episode is the first time we ever did it. We never rehearsed it; it just came out that way. And when that golf ball comes out of my pocket, that was one of the longest sustained laughs we ever got in a live taping. That laugh went for more than a minute before Michael could go. Is that a Titleist? Um, hole in one. Um, now, interesting, right? But if we go to the inside look and we get Jerry's account of this, now again, this is like we could do our own serial podcast about this in this episode in this scene. In Jerry's account of the event, Jerry says that we stayed up all night rewriting this the night before the episode jerry said we rarely did a rewrite and we stayed up all night writing this new scene we knew jason was a uh, was a quick study when it came to this we wrote the new scene but we never had a chance to rehearse it in front of the audience and jerry says if you look at me in the scene that I'm totally out of it because I know the dialogue and I'm there trying to go through it with Jason in case there's anything he can't remember because I know the lines and I'm just trying to make sure he gets through the scene because I know it so well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jerry's the writer of the show, even though he doesn't write this episode. He's clearly the one to be believed here. And we know, you know, George, Jason Alexander has a little bit of George in it, right, where He's an, he might not be a huge liar, but he's definitely an exaggerator unless it was the greatest edit in the history of television because it doesn't look like the camera pans anywhere and there's an edit. The laugh is is enormous, but it's like 12 seconds, not over a minute. Right. Well, who knows? Maybe they uh... that's an exaggeration. So I, I think the idea that he wrote something that complex overnight 
even if you believe it, then the show, like, it doesn't, the whole uh, episode makes no sense. Why is Kramer golfing into the ocean if there's no payoff, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we not finding out what happens with George? That makes no sense. Like, we've, there's no episode in the whole series where someone has a, a relationship like George has with Diane, and then we would just not find out what happened unless in his fake version of the story, which isn't true. Like, is Diane coming back for the next episode then? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like that George walking off into the ocean. I feel like that's like a Curb Your Enthusiasm ending. Like I could sort of like see like George just walking off into the ocean and then a bump, bump, bump like that. Right. It's true. Yeah. But Seinfeld has never done anything like that before or after. So I I feel like Jason only has, you know, he's an actor. He only has a piece of the story. They don't have to tell him everything. And again, they're, they're filming these not like the week after they air the episode, but probably a decade later for, you know, some posterity of like talking about Seinfeld. So I, you know, I believe, uh, I believe Jerry, not George here. Okay. All right, Akiva. So we have a special treat before we get into everything that was implausible from this episode and talking about all of the feedback about this episode. We have a special guest. We've never done this before other than having like writers from the show on with us. But uh, Akiva, why don't you set this up? Yeah. So when I decided um, that I, you know, this might be a cool idea to do a Seinfeld podcast and I ran it by uh, my friends who are really big Seinfeld fans. And, you know, and they gave me ideas for the show. They said, uh, don't do every episode. Nobody will want to hear that probably is what they said. You know, just do the top 20 episodes. But um, I said, like in passing the way you just make an offer that you're never going to have to pay off. I said, hey, what's your favorite episode? You guys can come on for that. So one of the guys said the opposite. And then Chester said uh, the marine biologist was his favorite episode. OK, so I forgot about that because, you know, we that was uh, 80 weeks ago. And who remembers? But Chester remembers everything. So he emailed me this week and said, can I come on? And I said, no. <laughs> but he's very persistent and here he is all right here is a great seinfeld recap podcast uh emailer and co-host of the 32 fans in 32 days podcast the great chester how are you i am excellent rob all right how are you here so here's akiva, Ch- akiva two days in a row we just recorded football yesterday yeah i'm sick of you <laughs> all right so chester we're about to talk about what is uh implausible in 2015 in the marine biologist what was your take on the things that did not make sense here? Oh, well, well, first of all, obviously, if if Jerry tells Elaine the war, what is it good for a story? She immediately Googles that on her phone yes. before before bringing it up in front of her boss and her biggest client ever. That would make right. sense. We should, have, we should have let Chester listen to the podcast because we already said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> should have just had him on mute. <laughs> there might be a lot of editing here. I have no idea what's been said. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, you know, and, and also... And this is just, you know, ruining Seinfeld in general. But you can't lie. You can't call yourself a marine biologist in 2015, right? Because the girl would would Google George and and immediately realize that's a lie. Uh, So she would just go on his Facebook page and stuff like that. But let's say he changed his LinkedIn. Yeah, but that's all you would check. Like if I want to know what somebody is. I don't know if he, if he was just if he was just in the Galapagos Island looking at turtles, it would be on academic websites, you know. See, I think it, now he would have an out where he could say, you know, I was a marine biologist. I was working at SeaWorld and then that whole blackfish thing happened and they shut it all down. So now I have to be an architect. Not shut it down. He could earn points. He could say like it was just too horrible what they were doing to those orcas and I had to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Former marine uh, biologist. Another thing, by the way, that would be different. And, and you know, as, as I said in my email this week, I think I don't know if marine biologist is definitely my favorite episode ever. But the final. Well, then why are you here? Let's get you well, back for what was well, it? I hope it was like something that happened already. Right. Is this a setup for when your favorite episode comes up? Then yeah, he's just trying to get himself <laughs> oh, back on. The- yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get back on. Yeah, no, but the final scene is like totally perfect. 
Um, except the one issue I have with it is like George is telling over the story and it's the next day because Elaine says she saw it in the paper, right? So first of all, obviously today, you know, they, they would have read about it online. But my question is, like the whole big reveal is when he pulls the golf ball out of his pocket and that's like the huge laugh line. And George says it was like the, on that video I sent you guys. I think George says it was the longest line, uh, the longest laugh they ever had on the show. But if Elaine read about it in the newspaper already, then they, she would have already known about the golf ball, right? Maybe George didn't tell them what the obstruction was because when he realized he didn't want Kramer to go to jail. So he didn't tell them. He just said, I pulled something out and I threw it away. Uh, I guess maybe. Okay. All right. That's yeah, it seems implausible, though, that George would make Jerry wait to get this kind of information like this thing happened. <laughs> Like it was in the news, it was in the paper. They get to they the diner. The next day. Yeah, they, they wait till like okay. Like, and by the way, it might be a few days. There's something that implies that that it's it maybe has been a couple days. Well, maybe George has been on such a media whirlwind tour, he hasn't had a chance to. He <laughs> yeah, goes on the Today Show, He's doing press by Jerry's. Yeah, yeah. By the way, one one more thing in 2015. So you know, the scene where where Jerry meets uh, the the college girl, you know, he's at the ATM and he's trying to beat her, yes. or he wins. Yes. So I I love winning at the ATM. Obviously, if you know anything about me, and you can actually make it in 2015 where like you set up the automatic. Like I just go and I swipe my card, I enter my code, it spits the money out like automatically. I've set up my settings. You know, I don't want a receipt. Uh, the exact amount of money I want is the same every time, etc. So I get in and out of there in like ten seconds, and I I'm like so competitive. I'm looking at everybody next to me. Like my goal is to like come in and then get out before the person next to me who's got there before me leaves. You know, what my goal is to not get mugged. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Especially when you're doing a Manhattan, I feel like especially like my college was in a not great part of Manhattan. I have like zero eyes on my code and two eyes on like all right, like which of these guys might rob me, and I have to like make a run for it. And like, you don't want to, you don't want to like flash your cash around. So you have to like shove your cash in your wallet before you leave the, yeah. the well, that's scene. What, that's what George said last week when they came out of the uh, liquor store. Don't <laughs> oh, flash yeah, your cash sure. around. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was the nineties. Now it's a little safer. A little, it's a little safer. All right. So we're going to get into some of the emails. And so Chester, you're going to hang out to uh, go through the emails and then we, you could just tell us your email. You don't have to, uh, we don't have to read it. <laughs> sure. You know, I was complaining to Amir, uh, another prolific emailer. Uh, a couple, of, uh, I think last week, that you guys usually read my email last. And so, and Rob will skip the parts of my email that other people have covered. And Amir always like steals all my, all my good lines. <laughs> so, so now I get to comment on Amir's email. I'm very excited. All right, let's go through some of these emails. Of course, they come to us every week. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, we have an email from Liz. She says, uh, I had an electronic organizer and an electronic dictionary. They were gifts. I didn't use them very much. Are there any electronic gadgets like that from your past? Akiva, did you ever get one of those like uh, crappy holiday gifts that are sort of like executive type things? I feel like I got five organizers and I never used one one time. I also got like a lot of stamps that you could like stamp your name on your books oh. as if someone's going to like come into your house and rob your books. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, things like that, like a P touch thing where I could like label. Well, I like like, I don't know, what am I doing with these things? <laughs> what are you Chester? Um, well, I remember when I was in ninth grade, so this is circa 97, the electronic organizer was like a very hot item. Uh, and everybody wanted one. And I guess that's just, a, that's a couple years after this showed on Seinfeld. I don't really remember. Yeah. I had a Palm pilot for work. It was really yeah, like big. around like 2001 or 2002. Well, and it was we, useless. We both went to like, uh, private high schools where there's like competition like everyone wants to get the, the kids to come so they would like they would try and uh in 1997 when we were in high school they would try and like uh get, you know bribe the kids to come they'd say like oh every kid gets a palm pilot now it'd be like a mac air or something wait wait but, i didn't get it i didn't get anything like that at my school well they didn't want the kids from minnesota coming they were like uh, uh <laughs> you probably should just stay home 
Wow. You know, I, I, rem- I remember once uh, some college, I think it was like Queens College Honors Program or something, promised that every kid would get a laptop and it was like such, a, like such an appealing thing. But when you're paying $40,000 a year for college, so now they're just going to charge you like 40800 or whatever yeah, they get. Yeah, but Queens, all, uh, Queens College Honors was free, right? Oh, it These, was? The thing was the, no. high schools, the high schools are, you know, they're trying to get you because you pay fifteen grand a year. Now, like twenty two grand yeah, a year, yeah. a lot, a lot so, more than that. The Palm Pilot's just a hundred bucks. That's like a write off. And the real appeal of Queens College is the alumni magazine, which really is on that's top the, of the ball. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that's why I brought reporter. it up. <laughs> all right, <laughs> this is an email that comes in from Tom, and he's got a hot take. Okay, so uh, he's got like the uh, Skip Bayless Wait, of the Seinfeld. Podcast. Yeah, we we have a we have a hot take drop that we use on our podcast. Oh wow. Uh, Rob, Tom, you should have been like I know. Tom says yeah, Rob, <laughs> Rob exposes himself as a not listener. I've listened. I've listened to the podcast. I've not listened to every episode of it. That I was the one. I said that I think that you guys needed uh, better theme music, and then I really liked the new theme music. Oh, did you ever change that? I've never listened yeah. to, the, to our podcast. Did you ever yeah. change that? Sister? Yeah, well, we have the same. Rob? We argued about this. Do we have the same intro and outro music? Because your wife said we should have the same intro and outro music, and I said no, it's not necessary. Yeah, well, yeah, we have a different intro and outro song because I concede it to you. Rob, do you think we need intro music for this podcast? Oh, uh, we have intro music. We have intro music. There's music. But like, what about an outro? Like, like, like a like a popular like. uh, Outro is the Seinfeld music on this podcast. Is it really? I've never gotten that far. (laughs) Yeah, it's the end of the Seinfeld music. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's a good. That's a good touch. All right, so Tom has a take, and he says, "There's been many times over the course of the Seinfeld rewatch so far." that you've said that Elaine's B or C storyline has let down an episode. I think that there's no greater example of that than here in The Marine Biologist, where her awful Testikov plotline is in direct contrast to the rest of the episode, which might be one of the best episodes ever. Is this officially an underreported thing? Does Elaine consistently have the worst storylines of the principal four? If so, why? Love your work, bro chachos. All right, Akiva, is this a thing? And if so, why is it underreported? I mean, I think it's a good thing for us to track now going forward. Like, are Elaine's B and C stories really weak? Um, But what about so far? Like, has this been a thing? Chester, do you like, off the top of your head, does Elaine have like a lot of weak, uh, you know, side stories so far? Well, but in this episode, the weakest story is probably Jerry. He has that golden boy, like the laundry story, which is unexciting. And then he's interested in dating that Corinne, who's like a boorish. Oh, you think mess. he's interested in dating her? Yeah, Chester. So he you're going even further than me. He, admi- he admits. It. You think that Jerry is romantically interested in it's Corinne? Inexplicable, but he admits that he is. See, I didn't get that. I thought that he's, and we talked about this in the episode that I felt like I don't understand Jerry's motivations here. He wants to date Carol Kane. Well, Elaine calls him out on it. And he basically admits it. He says, oh, you know, do people accuse Superman of doing that? You know, like he's trying. I, I think I think he is interested. And I thought it was a strange casting decision slash acting performance by Carol King because she is not a, uh, you know, an, an attractive woman in this episode. Yeah, I her. wonder if it's the kind of thing where the part was written to be somebody who was like sort of like a uh, like a sexy woman, like a Tawny Katane type thing. But it was like, oh, we could get Carol Kane. It's like, OK, well, she, Carol Kane is really funny. Let's get Carol Kane. And then it turned out to not make any sense with her in the part. By this point, Seinfeld could get anybody they wanted, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're getting Courtney Cox in a few weeks, who's already landed friends. Mm. All right. I would love to get people's feedback on this. So the Elaine thing now, is it just because the group struggles to write for women? Or is it just for whatever reason that the Elaine character is problematic? What do you think it is? Well, she's not as wacky and, you know, Kramer's and, and also George probably because they're just such caricatures and such weirdos, basically, they can have outlandish storylines. 
you, you can't have Elaine doing the things that Kramer and George do because she's more sort of a stable influence, mm. relatively speaking. Yeah. I wonder, I think and, it's... A, and, Jerry, and Jerry doesn't have great storylines. He's just sort of the glue. Mm. I think it's a, probably an interesting thing to track if there were things that they weren't really able to or willing to do with a female character in 1994 that they'd be more willing to try if, say, this was on TV today. Can we, can we give Chester homework to like track Elaine's like last 75 storylines and to, and, to, and to rate them from like 1 to 10 and see how they are? Yes. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, you got homework for next week, Chester. Okay. Uh, we got an email from Aubrey who says uh, when in last week's episode where Jerry had said that why do people always use that? Oh, we could put a man on the moon. And why are people using that? Uh, she sends us a picture of a tweet from uh, a John M. Cochran who recently tweeted pretty wild. We could put a man on the moon, but I can't close this pizza box. So and that's a comedy writer. Yeah, but, but you, you, uh, you, you, you consider the Miller's actually- comedy. Yeah. You guys don't actually believe the man on the moon, right? Oh, boy. Made in a Hollywood basement. I, oh, I no. promised I was going to bring some hot takes. Oh, no. We, we haven't even got to global warming and the Holocaust yet. Oh, wait. no. <laughs> All right. Here's an email from James who says, hey, guys, I caught the episode of George declaring that he would name his kid seven. George suggests that the other couple should name their kid Soda which struck me as odd given how at the dinner party, George is very specific about Pepsi. Wouldn't it make sense for George to suggest the name Pepsi? What do you think of Pepsi as a baby name, Chester? You know, Pepsi's not terrible. Is it a boy or a girl, Pepsi? Girl, I say girl. It's it's gender neutral almost. No, I think Pepsi is a girl's name. Well, maybe maybe his formal name is Pepsin, but he goes by Pepsi. Mm, Nickname for a boy, I could see it. Rob, you have to ha- you're having a kid in the very near future, right? Yes, probably if- before this episode is aired. Oh my god. So if if um l- let's say it's let's say it's who cares what it is. Let's say it's a boy. Okay. If if it's a boy and someone offered you a, the Pepsi Corporation offered you a million dollars to name your son Pepsi, would you do it? A mm. million dollars. And do we have to always refer to the young boy as Pepsi? Uh you could call him like Pep you call them C like, but you have to, if you like, if you talk about them on the podcast, like that's where they're getting their advertising money back. So you have to call him Pepsi on the podcast. You have to, if you post a picture on like Instagram or Twitter of him, it's got to say Pepsi. I'd be open to it. Would your wife agree no, for a million dollars? Probably not. A million dollars. I will she ask her re- that indecent proposal uh, right now. Uh, I'll text her. And maybe she'll answer me back by the end of the podcast. Oh, well, why didn't you, you know. why, why didn't you, why didn't you wait until mid labor? That seems like a good time to bring it up. <laughs> Yeah, that's like a Jerry thing. Just starting a casual conversation. (laughs) Would you accept a uh, million dollars to uh, name the baby Pepsi? Uh, And Pepsi's not so bad that like, first of all, there's going to you're going to send your kids to um, to school in L.A., unfortunately, unless you unless you like smarten up and move back. Mm hmm. Like you're going to be some weird names it's in your spoken kids' class. by somebody nope. who does not live in New York. <laughs> that, but Doesn't even no, live listen. in the United States. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota, and I'm the only one who actually lives in New York among this group <laughs> oh, of New Yorkers. Yeah. So wait, but Rob, if there's going to be weird names, he's not going to get made fun of mm-hmm. for being named Pepsi. So it's not like one of these names you're na- you're not naming it like stupid idiot head, you know? Yeah. Like it's a it's a decent name. It's just not the name you choose. Yeah, well, let me find out. I I actually know somebody named Hepsi. H-E-P-S-I. Pepsi. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. That's really bad. It's a it's a it's a horrible name. I'm confident she's not listening to this podcast. It's a horrible name. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh let's take an email from uh Johnny D. Silvera, 
And uh, he wants to know from us, do either of you have a favorite shirt like Golden Boy or Baby Blue? Akiva, did you answer this? Do you have a a shirt like this? You said you have a shirt that is your least favorite shirt. That's when you have to do laundry or I'm sure Mrs. Akiva has to do laundry. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even like I know where the washing machine is, but I wouldn't know like which buttons to press. Yeah. Um, The I I mean, I like this yellow shirt. I feel like this has become my go to shirt. Actually, I have a Fruit Ninja shirt. That's my number one. Like right now, that's my number one out of the dryer. Wow. I like Fruit Ninja. I like slicing the fruit. It's like therapeutic. What is Fruit Ninja? It's like an app, but you get to slice fruit and you get points for slicing fruit. You never played it? It's a game. Yeah, it's like a it's like a game. And I'm not a big game guy, but it's like a good bathroom, you know, like two minute game. Jester, are you a fruit ninja? No, unfortunately, my wife got me into Candy Crush. Candy recently. Crush, okay. very, oh very, very addictive. So, Rob, the, you, now you guys both have something to do for next week. Download Fruit Ninja. And tell me what you think. Okay, and that's by the way, that's a good hospital thing too. It's like getting stressful. Your wife's yelling at you. You know, she's in the middle of labor. <laughs> Wait, do you think that only happens at the hospital? Yeah, just start cutting the fruit on your phone. Nobody will notice. The hospital during labor to me is a vacation because. Then it's almost like, uh, you know, my wife, it's my wife is still yelling at me, but there's witnesses now. So, like, at least I have like a person to sort of like shrug I my mean, shoulders. It wouldn't even be to. possible for her to murder you there. She's mm-hmm. just, there's so many people around. Yeah. She's lying down. Also, she gets drugged at a certain point, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to hear from Amir? Sure. Okay. So Amir, he wants to say, I don't understand how Kramer has 600 golf balls that he got from the driving range. Oh. This is one of my notes. But I already answered this question. So both you guys are slow. Driving ranges don't give you the balls to keep. Did he just buy buckets of balls and take them out of his car one at a time? Or did he break in and steal hundreds of him? What do you what do you think, Chester? What was your official take on this? Yeah. So my take was that he went to the to the driving range and he stole several buckets. My issue was each bucket I was estimating holds, let's say, 60 balls. Right. Yes. You can't you can't carry more than two buckets at a time. So he has to go back and forth multiple times loading his car and no one's going to notice him stealing all these golf balls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm my the theory was one. my theory is that when it was closed, he just went to the woods and and he just picked up like all the balls that were errant and they, the, the, you know, the grounds didn't want or whatever. Also, when Kramer says 600, I don't I don't know how reliable he is. <laughs> right. But you think it's really 20? Well, in the shot where we see him hitting into the ocean, I actually counted because after the oh 600, <laughs> I, I froze the frame and I counted. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I think there was, was that, is, was that a billable hour? <laughs> there was 18 by my count. It's a, it's a pro bono client. Okay. Uh, then uh, Amir has a couple other uh, points about the uh, t-shirt. He's not that impressed uh, with the length of time that Jerry has owned the t-shirt. Uh, that That's he- another one of my notes. What is with but Amir? Kiva already talked about that. And then yeah, also uh, he talks about how that the rest of the episode uh, was not that strong. He says it was a tribute to the core four on how well this episode succeeds based on how trivial some of the other plot lines are. So, Rob, let me ask you about this T-shirt business. You're a couple years older than Akiva and I. Do you still wear any clothes from high school? I don't think I have anything that I had in high school, but I definitely have some shirts that I had from college. Okay, Akiva, do you have, although, you know, you see, move Rob, See, Chester, you really needed to listen to the, this is like a rerun for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys could tune out at this point. The, the, it, I, cause I mentioned at the very top of the show that I'm wearing a shirt completely accidentally that, that is talking about some event. I still don't know what, cause it's on me and I can't read it upside down, but it says January 2nd, 1994 on it. And it is my oldest shirt and it's not even mine. It's my wife's. She doesn't throw anything out. So 
but it, you know, this is a 21 year old shirt. So I definitely have stuff older than, you know, I, I have my high school intramural shirt. I, I wore the other day. Like, you know, I have older clothing than, than six years for sure. Yeah. I, I agree with Akiva and Amir on this one. Actually, my wife just made me throw out a bunch of pants uh, that I had from high school last week. So, <laughs> okay. Well, well, look, did they still fit? <laughs> um, you know, a little That's impressive. The waist, they still but not fit. Bad. I'm like, uh, Probably way more, you know, higher pants. Well, size but but to be fair, the reason they still fit is because, like, it, when I was in high school, the fashion was very loose fitting clothes, uh, and now the fashion is much tighter fitting clothes. So <laughs> yeah, you know, so so my like Junko jeans might be your you know, Jenko jeans. They they might you remember be those, Rob? <laughs> might be skinny no. jeans now. No, I don't. I don't remember Junko jeans. Well, you weren't cool enough for the Jenko jeans. Yes. Those those were like for like the, the like the thugs in your school wore the Jenko right, jeans. Yeah, like the, well, the skaters, not thugs. Yeah. Skaters. Oh. Why did you have a lot of uh, thugs in the all guys high school? <laughs> Why you think the girls would be the thugs? You think the fact that there were no girls means there were no thugs? I guess, it's I don't know. <laughs> no, there were no thugs. But a thug just means like listen, every every it's it's a curve. So it's like the Relatively biggest speaking. the biggest gangster in my school might have been someone who like once smoked a cigarette, but mm-hmm. he still would have worn Janko jeans as like a statement. I have a text message back from my wife. Uh, she says the answer is sure. We don't have to call the baby that, right? So she says yes. Oh, well, so now she's well, not following well, hold the rules. On. So the, the, now I'm going to be a lawyer. Obviously, Pepsi in the contract you sign is going to have several covenants and provisions related to you can't change a baby's name. You can't, go, you know, can't call them by another name and they're going to want evidence. They're probably, you know, once a year, you're going to have to send, you know, legal forms. Copies oh, no, they it. want they want this is just this is their way of getting free podcast advertising. Mm-hmm. They're spending a million dollars, but they're getting millions in advertisements. Rob's got to post at least once a month an Instagram about the name. He's got to use the full name. Pepsi mm-hmm. Sester Nino on Snapchat once a day. <laughs> once they're going to get their money's worth. It really doesn't yeah. roll off the tongue so easily. Wow. I just got to hope for Pepsi to go out of business by uh, like the time. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Pepsi goes out. It's like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a joke because they're a sponsor of your show. But. Yes. <laughs> this is like one of those uh, stadium naming rights deals where it's like, uh, do I just get the million up front? Well, or is for, it like, didn't Pepsi just pull out of, pull out of the yeah, Pepsi, Pepsi porch? Well, is, is that where they're putting the money now? They're taking away the Pepsi <laughs> porch and going to name my kid for unconventional advertising. Is there anyone who was on reality TV a decade ago who was having a child this week? <laughs> could we put in naming rights for the Pepsi porch? I mean, we could. The like, post-show, it would be show recaps, yeah. Seinfeld podcast porch. What was it, Chester? What was like the name? Uh, the the um, you wouldn't know. They they did like a ton of advertising with the Mets, uh, and then they they like went out, they they made those sponges with the SpongeBob on them, mm. and then they went out of business. They never paid the Mets for all their advertising. No, By no, the way, the, the, sp- the sponge also my favorite episode. I'll come back on that one. Also, <laughs> okay, you're not invited. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see in the comments if this performance. Why don't you just do the finale? Why don't you just do the finale by yourself? Well, the finale is not a good episode, though, right? So <laughs> I don't know if say anything. I'm gonna spoil that. Okay, so uh, post show recaps porch. I think that I think that we end up maybe we can get Jerry to come by at, one, at some point. Oh, I mean, yeah. The problem is it's not a good seat. Jerry's up there in like a suite or a good seat. Okay. But yeah, I think we could get him to stop by. Do the interview with the fake Kevin Burkhart. He'd show up for five minutes. Steve Gelbs. Steve Gelbs. Okay. And then Chester, what were your takes from this that we haven't touched on? Oh, um, oh well, I thought it was sort of weird that Kramer gives away the organizer to Elaine. Like getting free stuff is, is you know, Kramer's whole life goal. Yeah, but he right? knows it's a, a bupkis organizer. That's why I think he's giving it's it. Gotta to be, it's got to be better than the ones he, he later buys for, for Morty. Right. Yes, but he says. Yeah, but he also he's got he doesn't need he doesn't have any appointment, <laughs> so he doesn't need any phone numbers, and he doesn't need any. He has no meetings. There's nothing to. Yeah, he tells her, "I keep all my appointments up here." 
Yeah, he doesn't that's want true. it. Um, I, I thought Elaine was very ungrateful. She gets a gift for free, and then she goes to Kramer's house to yell at him. It's as if it's his fault that she couldn't get it to stop beeping. Mm. Yeah, the bank gave it to him. It's not like he bought her a present. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agreed about not being able to get sand, uh, you know, <laughs> off your body after the beach. I haven't been to the beach in years for that reason. Uh, and, and and this is almost a in a way it's it's a, a hint to the finale, right? When Kramer can't get the water out of his ear. That's right. <laughs> they were listen. They're, they're playing a long game here. The writers. <laughs> yeah. But look. If, if they could invent a beach, like, you know, I like dogs, but I refuse, and this is obviously a Jerry Seinfeld stand-up bit, I refuse to follow around an animal and pick up its poop. So I've always told my wife, if they genetically engineered a dog that didn't go to the bathroom, mm. I would absolutely want to get it. And likewise, if they could somehow invent a beach where, A, you didn't have to worry about your stuff getting stolen when you went in the water, and, and B, no sand on your body when you exit the beach, like some super vacuum, like, that would be a great beach. Yeah, I'd still never go. <laughs> you just That's a pool, Chester. <laughs> that's a good point wait full jester did you have any insight into newman getting hit on the head with the boot on what they were going yeah. for there yeah so i was there a deleted scene or something that was yeah one of my notes yeah, there it was nowhere. a deleted scene where kramer and newman have like a little bit of a conversation about the sand and newman is asking kramer to that he's going to tell his mom on him and and kramer is begging him don't tell my mom but it didn't really explain anything about the being hit on the head with the boot yeah it's weird why they left that one scene in in the final cut, I did think it was very entertaining. Newman has this sort of cartoonish reaction, like as the boots falling on his face instead of moving, you know, six inches to the left. Um, but yeah, but it was also, and also, frankly, there's no resolution to the Corinne storyline, right? Because she's pissed about the first thing that flies out a window and hits her. How is she going to react after the second one? We don't know. Well, I think she died. Oh, <laughs> I think that was it. But hold on. But then we need Jackie Childs. I mean, again, then there's going to be a big lawsuit. Well, there's no lawsuit if she died. I mean, I think it's well, her, her estate, her parents. Well, I don't think friends. she has an estate. Yeah, I think, I think she like grew up in the wild. Look at her hair. <laughs> yeah. Her behavior really. I mean, there might be a pending murder investigation. I would think unless Elaine and Testikoff and Jerry just like, you know, split. But there's a tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, yeah, why did why, why did Elaine have a tape recorder in her purse? Was that explained? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because it was Jerry's from the bank. He got a crappy tape recorder from the bank, just like Kramer got a crappy um, organizer from the bank. Yeah, I hate to shoot a hole in the plot, but, you know, obviously windows don't open in Manhattan, you know, high rises. Maybe they did at that point. Maybe that's why they had to shut them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how do you know, Chester? You were in Minnesota. There was no window. Yeah. All right, Akiva, what's the hashtag for this episode? Oh, well, we got Chester, but I guess he didn't hear the actual part, so. <laughs> And then one more email from our millennial correspondent. I think that uh, there's been some other people that have uh, also dubbed themselves the millennial correspondent, but at least that Haley, did we officially name, name Haley the, uh, let's hear her pitch because at least one of the people, well, do you know how old a millennial has to be guys feel like, uh, what is it? I think, I think we just missed Akiva. I think you gotta be born in like 85, 86. No, we are officially millennials, Chester. Oh, look at you. Um, I but, think, but, but, but Rob, what, what were you Gen born? X. 79, Rob? We're also in Gen X, depending on when people draw the line, where people draw the line. So we're born 83. I think 80 is the, is sort of like the, the longest people say. Some people say like 86, but we're basically millennials. But people who say they're 30, they're basically our peer group. We don't want to hear from them. We want to hear from someone in their early 20s. Okay. So Haley says, love the Seinfeld podcast. Can't wait to listen each week. Just emailing my application for your millennial correspondent for the show. I'm 23. I can definitely help when you need a younger perspective on things. And to answer the question, I had no idea what Farina was and I just Googled it. I'd love to contribute. But did we have somebody already? 
No, I don't think so. We have an attractive woman correspondent we haven't heard from in a while. Yes. But, and we're not even sure she's real. But now, we, don't, we haven't had a millennial until now. Okay. All right. So that's so Haley is officially our millennial correspondent. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we're going to put her to the test next time we need something. Okay. Like, yeah, how about next time you explain to Rob what White Iverson is? That'll be your test. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. White Iverson. <laughs> By the way, did you guys discuss the the video that I that I sent in yes, my email? Yes, we discussed the controversy of. Uh, wow. Want to just re- should we just re- repeat the whole episode for you, Alex? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we talked about the controversy of uh, we have Jason's account of those events and then Jerry's account, which is different, and we believe Jerry. Yeah, uh, Jason is uh, you know the the actor behind the greatest character in television history, but his uh, personality uh, a, li- a little. Uh, a little tough to take. He's the hero of his yeah, own He doesn't narrative. come off great on any of those inside looks. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so what's the hashtag then, Akiva? I mean, do you want to go with something basic, like war was it good for? <laughs> uh, I love it when it's something that we actually Yeah, okay, so here. something that we did? Yeah, what was your t-shirt say, Akiva? 94 garbage can? Shirt. I'm taking off my shirt. One second. <laughs> oh, rated X podcast. We've, Hold on. You're, you're going to have to put the adult I really need a shower by the way. Ah, come on. <laughs> It's from 1994. It has a picture of a garbage can on it. What does what our attractive woman correspondent that. think about this? <laughs> okay. She's probably into this. It says Winter Extravaganza 6, January 2nd, 1994. And the big title is I Cleaned Up the Mess. <laughs> All right. There it is. There you go. I cleaned up the mess. <laughs> and, the, and the back of the shirt is I'm a team player, but the team is, is an acronym. It's T.A.E.A.M. And it doesn't say what it stands for, though, or what kind of team. <laughs> so I don't know anything more about the shirt. I'm going to have to ask my wife, but uh, I'll post a picture in the comments of, uh, of, the, uh, of Golden Boy. Okay, <laughs> there you go. I'm a team player. Hashtag I'm a team player. I cleaned up the mess. All right. Uh, Chester, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today and helping us clean up this mess. I'm a team. I'm a team player. And the guy who really cleans up the mess every week is Scott St. Pierre, who makes a podcast out of this uh, nonsense recording that we give him. And Mike Moore, who does our episode recaps. Of course, you can subscribe to the Seinfeld podcast on iTunes. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes and follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve 26. I'm at Rob Sistrino. Anything else, Akiva? Uh, just next week's episode oh. is uh, the pie. The pie. Uh we got we got the pie. We have uh, Kramer spots an, a mannequin that looks exactly like Elaine, and Jerry's upset that his girlfriend won't eat any pie. Oh, is this Poppy? Nope, Poppy is coming very soon. Okay. All right, so we will see the pie coming next week here on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast on Post Show Recap. And, and listen to Akiva's other podcast. Oh yes, okay, go ahead, plug away. <laughs> thirty-two fans in thirty-two days. Uh, you can just go to tinyurl.com/slash-thirty-two-fans. That's a lot of work. All right. Or you can search 32 fans on iTunes or my name or Akiva's name. And uh, Rob Nobody got can a lot spell of, my name. Rob got a lot of shout outs in this week's episode. And, and, and we discussed Seinfeld, actually. You guys ranked the 16 best coaches in the NFL? Uh, well, yeah, we, we started last week, 32 to 17. Most of them got fired after we posted the <laughs> podcast before, we, before it actually made it to iTunes. But, but uh, yeah, we ranked the, the rest this week. All right. Good stuff. All right. We'll be back next week. Looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. Talk to you again soon. Take care.